You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1048 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is draft night. And today's podcast is brought to you by the folks at rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com to tell them Locked On sent you. Obviously, there is plenty to get to on this Thursday evening into Friday. In fact, it's now Friday where I'm recording, and it'll be Friday where you're listening. It's in the middle of the night, and that's what happens after the draft. But a productive and I think a very positive night for the Atlanta Hawks as they get Jalen Johnson at number 20 overall, the forward from Duke, and Sharif Cooper falls all the way to 48, the Auburn guard and local product from the Keechan High School outside of Atlanta, falls all the way to 48 and is now a backup point guard option for Atlanta in the future. So we'll get into all of the machinations that happen here, all of the rumors, all of the uh, you know weird draft stuff along the way, but Broad strokes, the Hawks did a very, very good job with their value in this draft. Um, got some upside, for sure, and we'll dive into the players as we uh, will do all the time in the next couple of weeks, but especially just as a broad overview tonight for any new listeners that we might have that are not familiar with these two players. So we'll dive into those guys in a second, but first I just want to say, broadly speaking, this was a stay-put draft for the Hawks. Now, there were plenty of rumors, in fact, coming into the day, and really throughout the day, there were all kinds of rumors with regard to the Hawks. We'll get, we'll get into those a little, a little bit later again with Travis Schlenk, because I have some audio from Travis's press conference that I'll play for everybody in the second segment of the show. But there was rumors about Cam Reddish being traded or at least being on the block. That did not happen on this night. Um, there were stuff about the Hawks trading trading up in, the, in this draft. None of that materialized. They did not trade down in this draft. They did not trade out. In fact, they just stayed actually put at 20 and 48. Now, we've seen in the past Travis Schlenk stay put at times. Uh, John Collins, Kevin Herter, Amari Spellman, Cam Reddish, and Jakob Kongwu, all those guys were picked where they were where their Hawks were already drafting in that slot, um, you know, up and down the board. But they've also traded up at times. DeAndre Hunter is a good example of that, as well as some second-round stuff. Bernard Fernando was a trade-up situation, etc. And then, of course, they trade down in the, with Trey Young in that swap. Uh, so they've been pretty active at times, but they ended up staying put in this instance, it didn't stun me by any means, but there was a lot of smoke throughout the day, particularly about the trading up, that I think uh, maybe if the Hawks had, had found their player that they wanted particularly at a certain spot, maybe they would have done that, but uh, they didn't end up doing that. And again, you know, I think the Hawks started to get a lot of A grades. It, you know, it's obviously too early as I'm recording this to see all the draft grades as they come out, but I had to do some of those for Dime on Friday, sorry, on Thursday evening. And I think, broadly speaking, the reviews from the Hawks were very, very strong. Even if you didn't love the individual players of Johnson and Sharif Cooper, the value where they were actually selected was pretty strong. So I just want to say that at the top of the podcast, I think this is a very, very strong draft from the Hawks. And I will tell you when I don't think that's the case, I'm not someone that's going to come out. If you're a new listener, you might not know this about me. I'm not going to come out and say that it was a great draft if it wasn't. But I think this is a very, very good job by Travis Schlenk and company. And we'll dive into all the machinations and all the breakdowns of the players and the value and all that in a moment. But first, before we get to all of that, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. All right, so in the second half of the show, I'm going to get into my own evaluations and notes and strengths and weaknesses of these players. But first, I want to play you what Travis Schlenk had to say 
about Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper. So I will sort of narrate the goings-on here, but a couple of quotes, then I'll also just read a couple things that he said instead of playing the audio for you. But first, his opening question and answer was about sort of the general uh, selection of Jalen Johnson, and here's what Travis had to say. Uh, can you just start by uh, the first-round pick, a bit of a gamble, or what did you see in him, and uh, why make that selection? Yeah, no, so listen, he's an extremely talented player. Um, great size, great ball skills, uh, rebounds, defends. Um, you know, obviously the, had some issues at Duke, um, you know, some stuff in high school as well. But, you know, where you, when you're picking a 20 and then that sort of talent, um, certainly feel, feel good about it. You know, the group had a chance to interview him in Chicago and felt good with everything. So, you know, we're excited to add a player of his talent level to the roster. So you hear there a reference from Travis about his sort of off-court maybe questions and stuff like that from Duke and also from his high school. Um, Jalen Johnson transferred a few times in high school and also left Duke early, ended up playing 13 games for Duke, left in February, had a foot injury, which we'll come back to in a second. But it's always been some rumblings around him. Nothing that rises to the level of like grave concern for me that I have ever heard. And, you know, Travis refers to nothing in specific on that on that answer. But if you're wondering why he might have fallen to 20, that's one of the reasons why he could have fallen a little bit further than people expected is because this is a guy who was a top 10 high school high school prospect. But, you know, at Duke, it didn't, it didn't go particularly well. He ended up leaving early and all that stuff. So there's always a little bit of uncertainty about that. But that's what you hear there with Travis referencing the off-court stuff. Also, he confirmed that Johnson did not work out for the team ahead of time. They did interview him in Chicago, which he said a couple times in his interview that you'll probably hear in a second. Also, he did cite John Collins as an example of a player that the Hawks drafted back in 2017 that had not come in for a pre-draft workout to Atlanta as well. So I said this on, on yesterday's podcast that I would not have limited a pool to guys who worked out for the Hawks. That ended up being prescient in this case because Johnson, I think, was a guy that, ba- that maybe they thought was not going to get to them. We'll come back to that in a second as well. But um, just not, not not a huge surprise, and I don't really worry about that. Travis said they did meet with him in Chicago at the Combine, which is uh, certainly enough to assuage any questions that they, they might have had about him. In fact, the medical situation I want to get to here in a second because he was asked about that. Uh, he had that foot issue that I said before at Duke that uh, I would say not necessarily is the reason why he shut it down at Duke, but was one of the reasons why he was limited and then ended up choosing to leave Duke. So he was asked, Travis was asked about the foot injury and whether that has any questions in his medical status at this point in time. Yeah, so uh, we got a physical today from his agency um, and, you know, to talk to some of the teams he did work out that actually got to see him. Um, and we feel, feel, feel good, you know, we'll get him here tomorrow and, you know, we'll get our own MRIs and all that stuff and certainly make sure that he's healing properly. But, um, everything that we have now says that, uh, everything's moving in the right direction. It does not seem like that's going to be an issue at all with the medical, but obviously until you see a guy up close and personal, they won't know that, but they took him with that information they were comfortable with. So that's where they are right now with Johnson's foot. Um, in terms of position, there were some questions about this. In fact, Travis was actually asked about the position that he'd be playing. He referenced uh, combo four was the term that he kept using, and I will play that audio for you now as well. Um, do you see him as being a, a swing guy who can play more than one spot for you, or do you, do you see him as primarily a three? Or? No, I see him as a combo forward. You know, he, he's got the defensive versatility to, to play a lot of different positions, you know, as you saw this year at Duke. Um, and he's got the ball skills to play on the perimeter, but the size and strength to play inside as well. So, you know, we, we view him as kind of the modern NBA, you know, being able to play both inside and outside and defensive versatility. Later, Schlenk was asked about whether the Okongwu injury had anything um, in terms of impact on the Johnson pick. He said no and stressed um, kind of without prompting that he's not a center. 
Um, there are some people that think that Jail might be a small ball center, at least at times in the future, but Schleck was pretty clear they view him as a combo four at this point in time. I think he's more of a four, personally, which we'll get into later on, which is not a huge you know, surprise or a knock on him. It's just where his physicality lies right now. But regardless, um, you know, Schleck did not seem to think about him as a center necessarily, more of a combo forward type, so at least wanted to pass that information along to you at this point in time. He did say they talked about how they had about 15 guys on their board that they were pretty sure were not going to be available at 20, and they all did not get to them. But he did say that Johnson was part of the next group that they had in mind, and also that he they had him ranked higher than 20. It felt like there was a chance that he might get to them, but they were not shocked that he fell to 20, but also pleasantly surprised and happy about that. So that's about what you would think. You know, he, For me, actually, I drafted Jalen Johnson in the locked-on NBA mock draft, which was airing the last couple of weeks on all these fine networks. Um and that's, you know, that was interesting to me. I thought he was definitely going to be in the mix if he was able to get to 20, but I thought the whole time that he may not get there. You know, Oklahoma City was a team that I had heard like Jalen Johnson. Um, just a couple of teams right before, right before the Hawks that could have drafted him, but uh, 20 was sort of the low end of his range in my view. So the, th- the fact the Hawks got, got him without having to trade up is pretty solid. It, it reminds me a little bit of John Collins, actually, which I know Travis mentioned earlier. But Collins was a guy who was expected to be gone by the time the Hawks picked at 19. It wasn't like an overwhelming surprise that he fell that far, but he was. it was certainly a surprise on some level, and this is kind of the same situation. I'm not telling you he's, he's going to be John Collins, but it's a little bit um, similar in that respect, and they just kind of stood pat and took their guy. Um, from there, we'll get into some Sharif Cooper audio now from Travis. Uh, first, he was just sort of broadly asked about the selection and uh, having a hometown guy that was uh, you know, basically you know, projected to go a little bit higher than this uh, fall in their lap. Uh, just quick, too, about the, the second-round pick, Sharif, the local kid, just kind of what did you see in him? And another didn't get to see a lot of them. Yeah, um, so we had him ranked much higher, uh, obviously, than 48. So you know, we got pretty excited when we saw him um, there late. Um, just – a really, really good playmaker, you know, good with the ball in his hands, um, very good passer, you know, pushes tempo, um, has the ability to get to the foul line. Uh, he did come in and work out for us, um, and he shot the ball much better he, than he did this past year. So, you know, we feel like the jump shot will be there. So, you know, we're excited to add him to our, to our program as well. We'll get into this a little bit later with regard to Cooper, but I, I firmly believe Travis in this instance about him having them having him ranked a lot higher than 48. It was kind of that eye roll that's associated with the GM saying that the guy that they ranked the guy higher than they drafted him. But in this case, you know, Sharif, I thought was pretty much a consensus first round pick for the most part. I guess some teams did not see, him, see it the same way, but I had him in my top 20. Um, and I think more of the concern with Sharif in Atlanta was the fit with regard to, you know, the fact that he probably can't play with Trey Young and all that stuff. But at 48, that doesn't really, you know, that's not really a concern at all. You just draft the talent and try to figure it out later. So I believe Travis on that one, just to say that I think they had him probably much higher than this. And I know I, I know I did at that point in time. So keep that in mind. We'll come back to him later in terms of analysis. Um, there was one question that I wanted to pass along to you about College Park because, you know, as Travis will get into in a second in, in his answer, this is a Hawks team now that's trying to win, and there will not be as many developmental reps as there were during the rebuild. And uh, that was interesting to hear him talk about here, and I wanted to at least play you what he said about College Park and the potential of particularly Cooper heading down there at times. Yeah, I think, you know, as we've kind of shifted from more of a development team to more of a, um, well, say contending team, but a competitive team. I think that it is fair to say that all of our young guys may have an opportunity to go down there and get minutes. You know, 
it's, we've we've kind of had a shift where you know the past few years we draft somebody and you know we would put them on the floor so they get that experience. Well, now because of the depth of our roster, I think it's very fair to say that you'll see the guys we draft moving forward in order to give them the development and playing time they need. That that's going to take place with the College Park from time to time. So to follow up on that, I, I think that it would not be a surprise. In fact, I I would project Cooper to be in College Park. Um, at times, if not pretty regularly next season. Um, that's one of the reasons to have a G League team. There's no, there's no shade in that whatsoever, a second-round pick in particular. It wouldn't surprise me if Johnson played in College Park at times next year. Uh, probably not as much as Cooper, but th- when you're playing as the Hawks are to, to try to win every single night, is a little bit more difficult to give those guys developmental reps, and there's definitely value in having those guys with the team as well, but if you want them to actually go out and play 35 minutes on a single night, you might want to just use your G League team, and um, last year they didn't have that option. This year they will have that option back, and you might have their two-way guys and all that stuff as well, but there's uh, definitely some use in having a G League team close by, down down the street basically in College Park, which they will take advantage of, I am sure. Uh, Last thing here on the audio front, uh, Travis was asked about trade scenarios. Obviously, no specifics here, but he did get into uh, whether they talked about trading up or trading down. Did you um, explore the possibility of trading up in the draft prior to the pick? Yeah, we had several conversations with teams about trading up, um, you know, inside the top 10 and just outside the top 10. Um, You know, none none of those worked out for us, um, but we did explore possibilities. We explored some possibilities about sliding back. Um, I think this might be the first year we didn't didn't move anywhere. (laughs) So kind of boring. I guess boring is a word you could use for this draft, but I would not use it. I think the Hawks did a really good job in this class. Again, it would not have been a surprise to me at all based on the intel and just you know putting your common sense hat on if they were to trade. Uh, I know Hawks fans were not enjoying the notion and the widespread reporting about Cam Reddish being available in trade. I think that he is available um, based on everything that was out there and what I've also heard. But still, obviously, it wasn't an urgent situation where they felt like, felt like they had to trade him. They could still make deals at this point in time. You know, free agency is getting started in the near future. But uh, that's where we are at this point in time. And by the way, one little uh, nugget here on the free agent front. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN reported during the draft on TV that there is, quote, optimism that the Hawks will reach a deal with John Collins at the start of free agency. Now, that's not hugely new information, but it's a, I would say it's a data point towards the Hawks bringing Collins back on a deal and avoiding the free agent mess and basically just, you know, coming to terms without an offer sheet and all that stuff in a standoff. Now, nothing definitive there, but optimism from Woj and going out of his way to say that on TV is probably a good sign for the Hawks to uh, bring him back um, in the near future once they're allowed to talk and at least and lock that up on August 2nd, which is uh, coming up very fast, by the way. That's Monday night when free agency begins. Okay, before we get to some evaluations that I have on both Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is Bill Barr. Did you know that Bilt Bar has so many delicious flavors that there's something for absolutely everyone? When you talk to a Bilt Bar fan, they're always passionate about their favorites. But if you don't know the Bilt Bar flavors, well, you're absolutely missing out. They have coconut, cherry barcia, raspberry, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate, and available this week only. Get the new Bilt Bar flavor, it's grasshopper cookie. What does it taste like? Well, this is Bilt Bar's version of the classic thin mint cookie. All the flavor without all that sugar. 150 calories, 17 grams of protein, and only 5 grams of sugar. My favorite flavor always changes, but this is one of my favorites. It's fantastic. And if you haven't tried all of the flavors just yet, you can get a mixed box where you'll get to choose. We'll get two of each of the nine flavors. 
Not only are the Built Bar flavors the best tasting, but they're also very healthy. 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, only 4 or 5 grams of sugar, and only 4 or 5 grams of net carbs. Amazing flavors, all tasty, and all healthy. If you order today and get the grasshopper cookie or raspberry, whatever you like, Built Bar is the place to do that, and it's the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. If you go to BuiltBar.com right now, get 15% off on your next order with the promo code LOCKED15. That's 15% off your next order if you use the promo code LOCKED15. Check it all out at BuiltBar.com. All right, and we'll close up here with some analysis on these two players. And again, I like both these picks quite a bit. They're both really good values in my mind, which makes things a little bit easier and a little bit more uh, optimistic on this evening as we get into, you know, 1.30, 2 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, we'll start with Sharif as a second-round pick, and we'll end with Jalen Johnson. Cooper, like I said, was a top-20 guy for me. You know, he's about 6'1", about 180 or so, not extremely long either, so size is a question mark for him. That's probably one of the things that scared NBA teams off to some degree. Start with the positives, though. He is a tremendous ball handler and a passing prospect that is uh, pretty off the charts, you know, I'm not sure he's the best passer in the entire class because of the size limitations, but pound for pound he is. And even if you factor in size, he's one of the two or three best passers in the class and probably the best ball handler. He gets in the paint whenever he wants to, basically, and took nine free throws per game this year, getting to the line a ton. Uh, obviously, lots of Trey Young comparisons, actually, for Sharif Cooper. I think the closest thing that we saw to Trey in college um, is Sharif minus the shooting. So that's that's really the question. It's like, you know, Sharif is a really, really, really good prospect offensively, but the shooting is a question mark. So he shot 23% from three this year. That's 23%. And the form is not like totally broken, but it's a big, big, big question for a guy who is as small as he is because he's already small. And while Trey can be the defense with his, with his shooting, Cooper is going to have some trouble um, in terms of being a primary, you know, number one initiator if he can't um, fix the shooting. So at 48, you can even get by without it. In fact, I will say this. I think he can be a quality NBA backup without shooting well. And I've said that a number of times on this podcast and other places. I think Sharif can be a long-term NBA player without a jump shot. Um, but because he is so quick and so good as a passer and so good as a foul drawer, etc. But obviously his upside is uh, capped if he can't shoot at a, at a higher level than he is right now. Also, defensively, it's pretty rough. Um, I think he's actually probably worse than Trey was coming out of college. Uh, certainly on that, on that same level. I think that he can be better there, but physically it's uh, it's not very good. So, you know, it's uh, it's too simplistic to say he's Trey Young as a prospect without the shooting, but it's about as close as you can find, uh, which is, you know, still a high-level player in a lot of ways. And again, a top 20 guy for me. I, I even said, I tweeted this during the draft. At a certain point, I almost would have wanted, if I was Sharif's agent and his representation, um, I would have wanted to always go undrafted to pick your spot. Now, obviously, I'm sure he's not upset with being able to go and stay at home as he's a local product. But as I said a couple times with guests on my podcast in the last few weeks, um, Cooper's upside can't really be fully tapped in Atlanta. Now, that's not the host concern. They should just draft the best player available. And at the time, he was pretty clearly the best prospect available for the Hawks. So no shade to, the, to, the, to Atlanta here, but... Um, long term, you can't really play Sharif and Trey together much, if at all, and that means that Cooper's role in Atlanta, even if it was to work, was to work out in the in, you know the next year or two, would be a pretty small role behind Trey Young, and that's that's totally fine at 48 for the Hawks. That's not a big deal. Um, it's just whether you if, if he has a chance to blow up, it probably be elsewhere. But regardless, mid mid second round beggars can't be choosers, basically. So a pretty awesome value for Atlanta, and I think he you know as a rookie. He's going to struggle. 
I think uh, in terms of people actually got a question about this, and we'll probably talk about this later on as well, but you cannot just pencil in Sharif as a backup point, as a backup point guard by himself next year. I don't think right now if you're the Hawks. Second-round picks, uh, I mean, obviously he's more talented than a typical second-round pick, but even if you drafted him at 20, I would say the same thing. You can't just go in with only a rookie who has some pretty significant flaws as the only backup point guard next year, but it does allow you to have some flexibility. So if you want to just maybe bring in a low-cost veteran, um, maybe you go Skylar Mays, whatever you want to do to have another option, but uh, keep that in mind. I wouldn't just hand him the job um, as a second-round pick right out of the gate because there are some flaws that he's probably going to struggle as a rookie, as most rookies do. Okay, um, from there... We'll get into Johnson a little bit here. And obviously, we'll talk about these guys a lot more. Summer League is going to be coming up. In fact, about you know eight, nine days from now, they open up Summer League. And I expect, you know, barring medical issues, that both guys will play. Um, so that no one said that, but I, you know, that's usually what happens when, when you're drafted. You, you go to summer league and get and play and all that stuff. So we'll obviously have a chance to see those guys up close and personal. Also, both will be introduced uh, formally by the Hawks on Friday. Johnson spoke to the media actually, which we'll get into uh, right now actually. But uh, he spoke to the media as part as a first round pick um, up at the draft. So nothing usually revelatory there. And then Cooper will be speaking to the media for the first time uh, as a local product. But those guys will be talking on Friday afternoon. Usually not going to break a ton of news with that, so I'm not going to like break in with an emergency podcast, but. They'll be uh, introduced to the city on Friday. Um, as for Johnson, a I think he's listed about six nine, about two hundred twenty pounds. Reported wingspan about seven feet. He's definitely a full on power forward size individual. Big, big, strong guy. Uh, definitely looks like he would be a, uh, a top flight NBA, NBA basketball player. And uh, you can see why the physical the f- physical tools are pretty impressive. He averaged eleven and six in thirteen games at Duke, but a lot better in terms of a per per minute basis than that. He, he wasn't a huge part of the team at different times. Shot the ball decently well, 58% true shooting on only 29% usage. Actually, had a, a pretty sky-high assist rate. Uh, his passing is really intriguing, which we'll come back to, but a ton of turnovers as well. But he was a top 10 high school prospect, and that definitely matters. You know, a year removed from that, he was a consensus top 10 RSCI guy. So you can see the talent. Uh, that's very, very evident. We'll start, we'll start with the question marks with him, and then we'll end with the strengths. Question marks... I think people are worried about the path for sure and how he left Duke and all that stuff, as Travis sort of alluded to. That could have been why he fell, at least in part. I'm not sure that I've heard anything troubling enough to really scare me off too much, but we keep that in mind. Uh, Shooting-wise, is not all the way there yet. Um, he's not a very adept scorer in the half court at the moment. He did shoot pretty decently on a small volume from three at Duke, but his stroke is a little bit, un, I would say, uncertain and inconsistent at this point. He's not had that. I would say probably hasn't been forced to shoot a lot of jump shots in his uh, pre-college tenure as well. I don't think he'll get hugely guarded from three early on if he's playing in the NBA, but it's not a weakness like jarringly. So I think he'll be an okay shooter in time, if not better than that. But I'm not sure that you could just look at the percentages, which are actually really good from college, and translate that to uh, immediate success as a shooter. Um, Half court offense is going to be a bit of a struggle, I think. You know, his passing is pretty interesting, but in terms of finishing and create creation for himself and jump shooting it was not like a huge strength at duke um there's some stiff hips with him i think people have pointed to that a lot that might hold him back defensively um, i think on the flip side if he unlocks that with some training staff stuff at the professional level it could be even more explosive which is a good sign um awareness wise it was not always top-notch defensively he can definitely fall asleep at times there's some bad tape on jalen johnson um defensively I think he's a pretty good defensive prospect overall, but there, it was more flashes than consistency at the college level, which is something to, to monitor. That's definitely a, something that a lot of young, young players have, but certainly you know, worth monitoring because there was some dreadful tape in there. Also some awesome tape as well. And I think overall, some inconsistency 
at Duke. Um, if you watch him on the right night, he looked awesome. Like, he absolutely dominated against Georgia Tech for a while, uh, as people probably might have noticed. Um, also, it's bad moments, though, overall. So keep that all in mind. Uh, before we get to the strengths, uh, he, did, he did say that he did not work, work out for the Hawks, and he didn't know that it was going to be happening in Atlanta until he was actually drafted. Um, but he did say that he focused on his jump shot a lot since leaving Duke. Um, you know, I'm sure he's going to say that, and that's what he should say, but um, we'll see how he looks as a shooter in summer league and beyond. But uh, that's a point of emphasis, as it should be for all parties involved. Um, on to the strengths. Um, I think transition basketball is one of his big strengths. He is a fluid athlete, um, pretty explosive, pretty powerful guy at times, and goes end-to-end. Um, for a guy as, as big as he is, he can grab and go and really handle the ball in transition. Not like a dynamic, like you know, half-court, card-you-up kind of ball handler, but someone who can really like sort of go end-to-end, push the ball, long strides, changes ends, and he has some pretty nice flashes in that regard particularly about going back to high school, and I, I was able to watch some high school film of him. I'll probably be watching even more of that in lead-up to Summer League and beyond, but um, some pretty intri- intriguing flashes there. He can jump a little bit for his size. I think he has long strides, as I mentioned before, on both ends of the floor, covers a lot of ground. I think he'll be able to be a good finisher in time around the rim. Not a huge strength now, but I think the physical tools are good enough where that won't be a problem. And the passing is uh, definitely something you want to bank on. In fact, I, I feel pretty confident in saying this. If you didn't like his passing or didn't believe in it, I think they probably wouldn't have taken him. That's a huge calling card of his at 6'9". Not like point four necessarily, but he definitely played that role at times in high school, even at times in college. But, you know, his size translates to passing. He can make a lot of different reads and passes from different angles. He was careless with the ball a lot. Turnovers were sky high, but that's not usually a huge problem for me. In fact, it's usually a good sign that guys are being aggressive and creative and trying to force the issue at the lower levels. Um, but eventually he'll have to clean that up a little bit or he won't be able to be effective. Um, and then defensively, I think the traits are really good. As I said before, I think he'll be switchable eventually, given his athleticism. He is big and um, and long. I think rebounding-wise, he'll be pretty good. That's a strength of his. Um, you know, Combo forward is the reference that Travis made. I think of him as more of a four. I'd be pretty surprised if he plays much three in the NBA, unless his jump shot just really unlocks itself. But even as a four, he is very skilled, and rebounding there will definitely help him in the future. I think even some like some weak side shot blocking might pop up for Johnson. Again, like there was the question about him, play, you know, maybe playing some center. I wouldn't necessarily see that, but it wouldn't stun me down the line if they were to maybe use him there if he was able to hold up defensively. You know, if they bring John Collins back, they won't necessarily need that option too much. But um, overall, I'll say this about Johnson: you know, Cooper's second round pick is just a different calculus. They definitely are betting on the talent here, and this is something I, I focused on a lot over the last month about the draft: is that the Hawks because they don't have a ton of weaknesses, can, could, have, could have sort of afford to take a shot on a guy who's more of a project. Now, Johnson is not going to be able to step in right now and contribute at a high level. Most rookies, as I am prone to say, are bad in the NBA, and that is even more so late in the first round. But the Hawks don't need him to play next year, um, nor Cooper. That's the thing about, I want to, I'm, I'm going to say this a ton over the next couple months, I'm sure, but the Hawks do not need to push these guys in, into action, and they won't. If they have an injury or something, sure they will. But I think opening night, if everybody's healthy, you will not see you know, 20 minutes of Jalen Johnson in the way that you would have you know, two or three years ago when Collins and Herter and Hunter and Reddish were all coming up and, and obviously Trey Young. This is a different situation now. I know Hawks fans are sort of conditioned to see these guys early on. We may not see a ton of them with the big league club this year if everybody's healthy. That's okay. That's part of the deal here as to this, these are long-term picks, particularly Johnson, and you know Cooper's upside is real as well. So I was not expecting to have like, two upside bets in this class you know 48 I was thinking more of like a 
know, you're looking for more of a rotation player kind of guy. But with Sharif Cooper, he has real upside. So uh, very, very interesting. I think Summer League is going to be uh, a lot more entertained now than it was probably going to be. With Cooper at the point of attack, that'll be a lot of fun to watch. He is very entertaining to uh, consume as a basketball watcher. So that'll be a lot of fun. And even the local angle, too, with Sharif. So long story short, Jalen Johnson, good value, high upside, really intriguing player. Sharif Cooper, good value, high upside, really intriguing player. So a successful night at the office for the Hawks. Uh, if I'm asked to give grades, I will say these are very, very positive selections for Atlanta. We'll have plenty more in the coming days. Probably not until uh, Sunday or Monday as I return. But again, just marking calendars. Free agency begins Monday night. So we'll have all kinds of content this coming week. And then uh, Summer League, I'll be heading to Las Vegas to cover that event uh, the following week. So a lot happening in early August. But please subscribe. Please rate and review and tell your friends about the show. If they're, uh, if you're a new Hawks fan, now that you maybe are a Sharif Cooper fan or you're a Jalen Johnson fan who is a, a Duke guy or whatever else, welcome aboard to the to Lockdown Hawks podcast. Please uh, come back and join us again. And uh, with all of that said, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.